Hi, I'm Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Marty Harding, and welcome back to another episode of Animation and Beyond. Yes, and on this episode, we are gonna talk about character development from some Disney films we know, and talking about how many of these characters were gonna look different from what they ended up looking like in the final version. Yes, so many Disney characters are super iconic and you could pick them out anywhere, but there's a long process that goes into developing those characters into the recognizable image that they are. So we're going to talk about a few examples of Disney characters that started out as something entirely different as what they ended up being in the final film. Yeah, yeah, it is. So before we get into that, though, we're going to do a quick actor feature about an actor who is pretty iconic, and he's the voice of one of the characters we're going to be talking about today, Wreck-It Ralph. And that actor is Ezra? That's John C. Riley. John C. Riley. You might recognize his name from some films, but those films wouldn't be children's movies, would they, Ezra? No, like the adult comedy Step Brothers, for instance, he was in. Yeah. He also was in Boogie Nights. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. I know. He's been in a lot of things, I know. Yeah, so his role in Wreck-It Ralph was kind of out of left field. He hasn't done many children or especially animated voice acting roles at all. So, Oh, he was also Eddie in Sync. And he reprised his role again as Ralph in its sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet. He was, but that's very few compared to people who are career voice actors so it was an interesting choice to cast john c Riley as the character of wreck it ralph why do you think they did that ezra i thought he would sound good to voice a character who's 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 programmed to be a bad guy in a game who shows he has a heart yeah yeah they thought he could communicate the character arc of wreck it ralph which is that he's a villain who's trying to prove that he's actually a good guy yeah i know have you seen John C. Riley in anything else, Ezra? A PG-13 rated a post-apocalyptic movie, which was kind of dark and scary, called Nine, which came out in 2009. Got it. I did not see that one, but I did see Guardians of the Galaxy, which he was in. I saw that as well. And so John C. Riley voiced Wreck-It Ralph, so obviously he came back to voice Wreck-It Ralph again in the second movie. Called Ralph Breaks the Internet, the sequel, which came out six years after the first. So he was back, he's got his role secured, and I'm curious, Ezra, John C. Riley is a full adult, he's 56. Yeah. How old is Ralph supposed to be? Maybe like a young man, I think, but he's just a character in a game, he doesn't age because he's a character in an arcade game. Yeah, it's just interesting when they when they cast older adults to play characters that are presumably younger, which... I know Ralph doesn't age, but his personality to me says that he's younger. And same with the other most of the other characters from those films because they're in video games. Yeah, definitely. Like Vanellope. Vanellope is always a kid because she's in a video game. Yeah, yeah. No, you you make a good point. It doesn't really matter the age of the voice actor. Yeah. Cool. Anything else about John C. Riley as Wreck-It Ralph? I thought he was great being the voice of the title character and bringing ralph to life and voicing the star of that movie yeah yeah i agree and if there's a third record ralph it'll be fun to see him come back and play that role again yeah maybe there will be one day who knows yeah cool so moving on to our feature presentation 
be talking about a few characters and their development. So characters in animation come out of thin air pretty much. We've talked about this before, how in animation you have a totally blank slate to work with. You're not limited by what your actors look like, where your actors come from, your environment. It's all coming from scratch, which means that when you set out to create an animated film, you are entirely imagining and bringing to life the characters. And that can be a tricky job. So let's go ahead and start with Ursula. Ezra, what's the what's the development story of Ursula from The Little Mermaid? Like we remember her for being the evil sea witch who was jealous and wanted to get revenge on King Triton. And she was especially jealous of Ariel's beautiful singing voice and how she fell in love with Prince Eric. That's right. So she played the villain in The Little Mermaid, which funnily enough, The Little Mermaid is based on a Hans Christian Andersen novel in which Ursula is a character, not by that name, but there is a sea witch character, but she's not really the villain of that novel. Actually, it's an old fairy tale. Yes, it was written down. Yeah, she's not really the villain of that fairy tale. It sounds like John Clements, who worked on The Little Mermaid, expanded Ursula into the person that she was and intended her to be more actively villainous towards The Little Mermaid and King Triton. Well, the... The titular mermaid character from the original Hans Christian Andersen classic story didn't have a name. Her name wasn't Ariel in the original version. Only Disney's version, the main character's name is Ariel. Yeah, right. And just in the same way, Ursula was a name given to the sea witch character in the Disney version, not in the original fairy tale. I know, yes. And there have been many adaptations and versions of The Little Mermaid besides the Disney version we all know. Absolutely. But in the Disney version, there's a happy ending. But in the original, sadly, the nameless mermaid protagonist sadly dies and becomes seafoam. That's right. When adapting it to a children's Disney film, they had to give it a happy ending, which meant that Ursula had to be defeated in some sense. And they had to find a way to make Ariel fall in love and the spell is broken and she lives in her dream. Yep. And Ursula wasn't always going to look the way she did, was she? Uh, no, she wasn't. Or she was not originally planned to have octopus tentacles. Yeah, she was, you know, when you see, when you imagine a sea witch, you don't necessarily picture a fish or an octopus. No, but one idea she was going to have, like, a fish tail like most mermaids and mermen. Cool. And another one, she was going to have, she was going to look more like a lionfish. The lionfish are the ones with the giant fins that stick out from their face, right? Yes, and... That would have been spooky. Another idea, another idea, she was going to have like a mohawk-like hair. And she was also going to look a, a bit slenderer compared to what she ended up looking like where she's kind of overweight. Yeah, which I think is really just due to her being part octopus. I also read that, you know how Ursula grows in size at the end of the movie? She gets really big. She turns into a monster, I remember. Yeah, so she wasn't always going to do that. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was an executive at Disney, had just read the script with the ending, and then he went and saw Die Hard, which came out in 1988. And I read that it was because of the huge ending in Die Hard that he went back and decided that The Little Mermaid should have a bigger ending. And he went quite literal with that, making Ursula grow in size for the final encounter. Oh, I see, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. So that's Ursula's story. She was not even originally a villain, and she evolved all the way into this octopus woman, supersizing, 
evil sea witch person who we know and well we don't love but <laughs> maybe some people she's the do because she's a villain but we know and recognize and can appreciate her role in the story yes so what about woody woody from toy story he was gonna look very different originally he was gonna be a ventriloquist dummy yeah a puppet so kind of had a creepy looking image i know yeah woody was gonna be a ventriloquist dummy and and either there's an early animation test of him with an early version of buzz that i've seen showing how different they were gonna look interesting i read that in really really early scripts too woody was actually supposed to be the villain and a character named tinny was going to be the hero i see and tinny was inspired by Tin Toy, one of Pixar's earliest short films. Yeah, that's right. So it was going to be Tin Toy as the head character, and then Woody, this ventriloquist puppet, was going to play the evil uh, mastermind who basically manipulated all of the toys into following him until they rose up against him. Obviously, that wasn't the final plot line of the film, but it did affect his early image as a more evil character. And they made Woody be a likable hero. Yeah. And I've seen also... Similar animation tests from classic Pixar movies like one for Monsters, Inc. showing what Sully and Mike were going to look like and also one for Cars that Lightning McQueen, Doc Hudson, and some other characters from Cars were going to look like from those early tests compared to what they looked like in the final movies. Oh, cool. Where do you see those, Ezra? Like on DVDs in the past as bonus features as well as on the internet. Got it. I feel like I've seen a lot of early sketches because all these characters come out of the drawings of animators, right? Everything starts on paper. And so it's common for you to find the early drawings of characters, but less common to actually see them in motion. And it's interestingly, there would later be ventriloquist zombies called the Bensons in the fourth Toy Story movie. Yeah, that's, that's right. They brought the ventriloquist dummies back as evil characters four movies in. Yes, and in the fourth Toy Story film, they also had Tinny appear as well. Yeah, so they really came full circle in terms of what they were thinking about early in the development of Toy Story films. And what they wanted to revive scrapped characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that you can do once you've established such a world. By the fourth movie, you know, you know Woody, you know all these the characters from the first film, you believe in them, you support them. And so it makes sense to introduce more characters, and that's when you can bring back some of those older ideas. Yes, I know. And it's I'm glad they introduced Woody, and at the same time also Buzz was going to look different, and his original name was going to be Humpus from Mars and then Lunar Larry. But they thought Buzz Lightyear seemed like a more appealing name. I think that they nailed that decision. Buzz Lightyear is, is an unbelievably engaging name buzz lightyear and he's getting his own movie this year he is it's i'm so excited to see that film and see what they do with buzz's backstory because we really don't get much of it in toy story no except there was the spinoff buzz lightyear of star command for some time that's right and you know i i read that when they were developing the character of woody he also wasn't always going to be a cowboy but john lassiter who was one of the developers of the original script really liked the idea of the difference and conflict between the science fiction genre and the western genre yeah and that's kind of what inspired him to shift woody towards more of a cowboy character and buzz you know to be explicitly a space captain 
or an astron or something. Yeah. Yeah. John Lasseter, the director of the original film and the former CEO of, D- of Disney and Pixar. Yes, that's the one. He liked that conflict of genres, which I think was really, really clever. Woody was also inspired by his childhood toy of Casper the Friendly Ghost that had a pull string. That's right. That's right. I wonder what Casper the Friendly Ghost doll said. Yeah, that's so interesting that 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 toy from an old from a very old classic cartoon was the inspiration for this cowboy toy character we all remember. Though Casper definitely wasn't saying, there's a snake in my boots. No, but it just got inspiration just to create his own original character. Absolutely. Talk about next. How about Wreck-It Ralph, your favorite? Yes. Wreck-It Ralph, the title character from Wreck-It Ralph, as we remember, in the beginning of the episode, was about a bad guy who wanted to be good. Originally, he wasn't very human-like. He looked kind of creepy-looking originally. Yeah, he was more of a furry red monster. I even read that he was described in early versions to be of the same or of the same look as Sully from Monsters, Inc. Yeah, a little, yeah. Because he's a villain, right? So he's supposed to look kind of scary, even if his actual character isn't a bad guy the whole time. Yeah, I know. I remember. And... They developed the character of Wreck-It Ralph for a long time. They started in the 1980s. Again, John Lasseter, who was at Disney, and Phil Johnston um, were developing the plot line of a villain that wanted to be a hero a long, long time before the actual character of Ralph came to be. In fact, Fix-It Felix was going to be the title character for a while, and then they thought that Ralph was more engaging, so they switched them. Yeah, I see. Interesting. Yeah. Why do you think that they ultimately decided to make Ralph more of a human character, Ezra? Because, like, they also had an idea of making him be, like, a Sasquatch or something. Or a gorilla. An abominable snowman, kind of. Yeah. I remember. He wound up looking kind of like John C. Riley too, I noticed. Yes, he did. Um, He was going to be furry, and he was going to originally, like, for, like... He was going to be like an ogre and then a troll and like a hybrid kind of creature for about a week. According to the Art of Wreck-It Ralph book I have, he was going to be a bulldozer. Oh, whoa, a bulldozer. But I imagine that a bulldozer character is harder to relate to when you're watching a film than a character who's a bad guy, but human. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. And then he was had like fist hands with spikes. Yeah. He was going to have a horn on his head. But they ultimately just settled in on him having these massive, strong hands and arms. And that was, yes. and everything else about him seemed kind of normal. Yep, that's right. And I'm glad it was good with the choice they did. But Felix, though, was compared to Ralph, was a lot easier to create. And he was always human-like at the start. I think that when if you're going to have a title character like this, it is going to be easier if you make it believable that the character has human emotions because Wreck-It Ralph's plot line, his character arc is a very human story. It's a it's a guy who who is painted as bad and wants to be wants to prove that he's good. I know that's right. So I know. It makes sense to me. All right, shall we move on to the Beast from Beauty and the Beast? Yes. This was an interesting one. When you hear the word beast, what comes to your head? Like monster or creature. Yeah, but creatures can have all kinds of different looks. I know. So Glenn Keane, who was the animator for The Beast, 
went on a trip when they were developing the film to a castle in France. And I read that he was most inspired by this castle called the Chateau of Chambord in the Loire Valley of France. And he, when he saw this castle, it was so pointy and ominous with all of these towers. I guess that castle is what inspired him to develop the beast because he was like, that is the beast's home. The beast has to fit that image of that and that presence of the castle. And that's how he was excited to start developing the image of the beast. Glenn Keane, I know, also worked on other Disney animated films, I think until like 2011, like uh, Tangled. Uh, the last one he did was Wreck-It Ralph. He also was an artist for Tarzan, Pocahontas, and The Little Mermaid. Yep. Yeah, he and all of these people we've mentioned who have worked on these movies, the Disney team is not that big in reality, so there's a lot of overlap between who's working on what films and characters. Some of the early versions of the Beast, the Beast was going to originally look like a mandrill baboon. Yeah, uh, so a mandrill, for those who don't know what that is, is it's one of those monkeys with the really long face. It's colorful. They have pink on their noses and kind of manes around their faces. Rafiki, R- Rafiki the wise old monkey's a mandrill from oh, that's the Lion right. King. Yeah, that's right. So like a, a larger version of Rafiki. Yeah, another idea is he was going to look a bit pig-like or he was going to have green skin. So Beast ended up becoming a, a combination of a whole different kinds of animals like, like buffalo horns, boar tusks, a wolf's tail a lion's mane a whole bunch of animals yeah the body of a bear and the eyes of a human so yes so he was combined with a whole different kind of creatures yeah which made him very animal-like without being an identifiable animal that then people would associate with certain qualities yes and we remember the beast was actually a prince who got cursed because he was really selfish and unkind to others Yeah, which meant that when they were developing him, they had to make sure he was uh, scary looking enough for it to be believable that he was cursed. And he has to wait till and find true love in order to become prince again. And same with all of his servants who have been turned into household objects. But if it fails, they'll be like that forever. Yep, exactly. And so it would have been a whole other challenge to figure out what kind of human or what, what the prince version of the beast needed to look like in order to make it believable that the beast and him were the same person. And the beast, when he turned back, when he learned to love Belle, stopped being so selfish and mean to others. Mm-hmm. And at first he was kind of hostile to Belle, but he shows how nice and generous he is to her later. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So last but certainly not least, what happened with the genie from Aladdin, Ezra? Um, yes. He was going to look different. Like, he was originally planned from according to what to these concept art pieces he was going to be green before they changed him to blue gotcha and some early sketches he looked his early face looked with the big teeth looked kind of creepy looking compared to how he looked like yeah his ultimate image was pretty soft and warm and friendly looking which was important because the genie was never meant to be a scary character Yes, I know. But this genie was not. So he was blue and friendly and kind of silly. And obviously voiced by Robin Williams. <laughs> I know, the late comedian I know who passed away in 2014. 
Yes, sadly. Yes, I know. There are mostly different actors in the live-action remake. Yes, Will Smith played the genie in the live-action remake. He kept most of the features of the genie consistent. But they did change one thing, I noticed, which is that in the animated version of Aladdin, they never really explicitly say that the peddler at the beginning of the movie and the genie are one and the same. But that became a focal point of the live-action one when they revealed that the genie is indeed the peddler telling the story. Did you notice that? Huh, interesting. Yeah. They, yes, because Disney officially confirmed that theory that they were going to reveal it, but it was cut back in 2015. Yes. I know in the live action Aladdin, actually the new old Aladdin I read, the genie was originally going to have horns looking like Maleficent. And one idea, he was going to be a cyclopean creature with one eye. Yeah. You know, Ezra, I also read that Eric Goldberg, who is the main designer of the genie, he imagined the genie was Jewish. And then also he researched for the movement of the genie when the genie is dancing. He researched classic jazz dancers from the Harlem slash jazz scene in New York. Specifically, Cab Calloway was mentioned as an inspiration for how the genie dances, which I thought was pretty fun. Yeah, I see. Interesting. In the Friend Like Me sequence you're talking about? Yes. I see. Yeah. So the the genie, another great example of developing something fantastical and fictional from scratch into a beloved and identifiable and believable character for the film and the story. And he said a lot of funny pop culture references and transformed into like so many things. And so... That is the five characters that we're going to talk about the development of today. Ezra, anything else you want to mention about these characters? It's so fun and interesting that these characters we know and love started out differently from what they ended up on screen and showing how some of them, for instance, Woody, weren't initially likable characters compared to how we know they ended up becoming. Yeah, or the other way around, where initially, like Ursula... They weren't even villains and then became something. It's really interesting to see the background and development of these characters that we don't really get to see on screen. And it's interesting as well. Some of the early versions of these characters were creepy compared to how a lot nicer looking they looked. Absolutely. So shall we move into the trivia question? Yes. Ezra, how many video games did you count Sonic the Hedgehog being in? I would say like over a hundred, I would guess. Ezra, before we counted to answer this trivia question, guessed over 100 games, and he was indeed correct. I counted 104 games of different platforms and different versions. 104 games was the answer that Sonic has appeared in or been the central character of, which is a lot of video games. Yep. And now for this week's trivia question. Which actors were once considered for the role of the genie before Robin Williams was cast? If you know the answer, make sure to listen in next week and confirm, because we'll tell you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. See you later on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye! Thanks for listening, and goodbye!